Hello and welcome to Nerd Alert! Girls. Hi everyone, I'm Caroline. And I am Bridget. All right, we are here to talk about Secret Invasion today. But before we do, I just want to talk about the Screen Actors Guild strike and the writers strike that are going on right now. Um, There's been a lot of like contradictory information from content creators online about like whether or not they can talk about movies. And, you know, if you look at what actually both of these uh, organizations are saying, it's neither of them are saying to boycott anything or to not talk about anything. It's just if you are being paid by the studios to recommend stuff, then you can't talk about it. So I want to get that out of the way to begin with, because like I very much support um, the writers and the actors striking because a lot of people assume that because people are, you know, famous actors or famous writers, those are the ones they've heard of. They haven't heard of a lot of people who are, you know, working in the entertainment industry, like the vast majority of people working in the entertainment industry, you know, do not make enough money to survive. Like most actors have second jobs. Uh, Most people in the Screen Actors Guild do not have, you know, health insurance because they didn't get enough work for that. And so much of this has been, you know, so disrupted by COVID. Um, So it's just a really difficult time for people right now in the creative industry. And, these studios have been absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely awful in the way they've responded to this. Um, these executives make, you know, these obscene salaries. And it's like, if they just took a 2% pay cut for some of these guys, they could afford, you know, all of the, you know, all of the things that the actors and the writers are demanding. So it's like, you know, they claim they don't have quote unquote enough money to pay people living wages, but, you know, they're making billions and billions of dollars a year so like that's just what I want to come right out and say is that we support the strike um and or at least I don't want to talk for you Bridget that's that's no absolutely pro pro strike yes absolutely yeah um and also I kind of felt like we should talk about this because like this is something that's come out on the podcast before that we have talked about you know, the, the fact that creative work is work, you know, it is a job and people need proper working conditions to do their best version of the job. Like we've talked about this a lot with special effects, how like when people complain about the special effects being bad, a lot of times they're making fun of the VFX artists and it's like, it's not their fault. They're not getting enough time to do this. They're not being paid enough to do this. You know, it's, and there's not enough, they're not giving enough people, they're not assigning enough people to do these uh these jobs so it's like and also they're a lot of these companies are using vfx in place of more practical effects workers who are part of these unions so like i think that um you know again we want to just draw attention to the fact that creative work is work it's a job and you know people no one tries to make a bad film or a bad show, you know, I, AI cannot replace writers. Preach. <laughs> yeah. That being said, we are talking about a show today that we do not like, we think was very bad. Um, but, you know, I just wanted to say just because this one's bad doesn't mean that people didn't try their best. Doesn't mean that like, we don't know what went wrong to make this show the way it was. 
Um, and we just want to say that, yeah, like, just because I'm criticizing this, just because we're going to be criticizing this doesn't mean that like, we don't support creative workers. And also that like, again, no one goes out to make a bad movie or a bad show. So like when we critique it, we're not saying that these are bad people or we could have done better. They're like lazy or whatever. It's just, this was, this was a bad show, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And yeah, both truths can coexist. (laughs) Like, you know, like, and and good writers and, you know, creators can make bad shows and make questionable decisions. I'm looking at you, Ted Lasso. Sorry, that's (laughs) unrelated, but something that I've been salty about. Yeah, I heard some stuff about the most recent seasons of Ted Lasso that makes me want to I've only seen season one. And I kind of think maybe I should just stick to that. You know, separate conversation. I'm not even going to get into that. But <laughs> um, so, yeah. you know, like things happen. And so just acknowledging that. But yes. Okay, so let's get into it then. Non-spoilery um, review. Like in short, TLDR, too long, don't read. Like I, find, I finally found, not that I was looking for one, but I finally found an MCU <laughs> show that I hated more than Loki. Like, all right, so Jen and I watched this finale, the finale together, and I was like, okay, you had to rewatch one of these two shows, you know, Loki or Secret Invasions, which would it be? And we were both like, Loki, like immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That's- and so and it all, to also give like I guess a sense of like where my taste is in the MCU cuz there are people I know people who do like Loki. Um but I really didn't. And for the most part I like all the other MCU um shows, even She-Hulk as controversial as that is, I guess. Um but yeah, I mean just like in a nutshell, I think like stuff happens and you're just like meh, you know, and like like the whole show is kind of just like a slog and you're just like things are happening for reasons and oh someone just died to at the last you know few minutes of the episode and it's supposed to make you feel things but really I just mostly felt boredom and annoyance um at every death so to speak so and it just does like in terms of Nick's care Nick Fury's character like just does things that like I just am still trying to make sense of and yeah I guess those are all of my thoughts on oh and a really stupid lame villain um like ficus villain you, I don't know if any of you any of you listeners has listened to our yeah. villain pod um series which we need to revisit that uh, but we talked about evil ficuses where it's like if you replace this villain with a ficus um would you really notice a difference and like yeah, this this guy was like a bratty ficus. I don't know. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> those are my I, thoughts. Yeah, I, I think actually what we should do is swap him out with Kingsley Benadire's uh, character from Barbie. Oh so my just- gosh! Wait, I haven't seen Barbie, but I saw the trailer for Barbie after watching an episode of Secret Invasion. And that was such a whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just have him be. Just have one of the Kens be the uh, villain for this, and not even the main Ken played by Ryan Gosling. Just like one of the other Kens. Um, sorry, I feel like I keep sidetracking us because I don't want to talk about this show. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, just general your general like non spoilery thoughts, um, Caroline. 
Yeah. Um, I am really trying to figure out what went wrong with this one because it, it was one that I was really looking forward to. I have always liked Nick Fury as a character and felt like he was underserved and wanted to see more of him. Um, I also feel like it's a great premise. Um, and I, I even was cool with the idea of having it be in its own separate show because I'm like, that's actually a neat thought. What if Nick has to deal with this on his own and can't, doesn't want to call any of the other Avengers because he's worried that they're all going to get turned into scrolls or they might already be scrolls. You know, that's a great excuse to have it just be Nick on his own trying to deal with the scrolls. Um, but again, it doesn't work. It's not like it doesn't do invasion of the body snatchers or like paranoid sci-fi. It's not a good espionage thriller. It's not a good superhero thing. Um, Nick's character makes no sense and everything kind of just happens. It feels like something that really should shake up the status quo and change the, the world. But it also feels like they're trying to have like as little happen as possible in this series. I mean, that's my theory as to what's going on is that I personally, I feel like there's some kind of retooling that's been going on with the timeline because of the COVID delays or because they're trying to like redo the order or change things around. And so this series maybe was supposed to be about something or have like actual important things really happen in it. But it seems like the kind of thing where it was like rewritten last minute. That's the best explanation I can come up with for why nothing in this show makes any sense, you know, and why nothing hits and why there's no, they don't do any of the things that you think they'd be doing with this premise. So yeah, it just, it's baffling to me. Yeah, and you bring up the whole like Nick being afraid that like the Avengers have been taken over by Scroll. That didn't even occur to me. And that's such a good reason. And they don't even voice that. Like, instead, it's just like, no, we just got to do this ourselves. And I'm like, well, why? <laughs> like, yeah. legit. And, and you know, re watching this made me, if nothing else, want to read the original comic book run just to see, I don't know, like, how good of a job they did in, like, that in the comics, but just to see a different take on it and just to see just learn more about like the scroll lore and just like i don't know hopefully have better higher stakes um yeah yeah if you want a condensed version um the cartoon avengers earth's mightiest heroes has like a whole scroll arc which unfortunately i think gets a little bit truncated because that show got canceled kind of early um but i think they do a really good job of like showing that paranoia plot and also it involves all of the avengers so like they do i think have a good and in that in that show the avengers actually like get along and are friends um <laughs> so it actually does a very good job of like splitting them all up um and like turning them against each other and you kind of and you kind of care i mean again that show is kind of feels to me very much like a condensed version of a lot of other of things in comics um, but it still does a good job, I think, of like get, showing you one of the angles you could do for this paranoia plot of what if all your friends are potentially doppelgangers? And also like it deals with the public perception of the heroes. Like there's actually a, one of the best episodes in that whole run is about um, the aftermath of the Skrull invasion and the fact that like there's a 
in that series, there's a scroll impersonating one of the characters and how he reacts to it and how he reacts to everyone being mad at him because of the things the scroll did is really interesting. Um, and so like, yeah, it's a great opportunity for character work. You know, there's a lot of beats you can do with that. And none of that stuff happens. Again, this stuff happens in this kid's cartoon that's kind of a condensed version of a bunch of comic books, but it doesn't happen in this like prestigious TV show, you know, that's supposed to be like a paranoid espionage thriller. Yeah, I know. And it's and it's crazy because the creator of the show, Kyle Bradstreet, I think is the name, um, created a, like a drama thriller called Mr. Robot, which I guess was pretty well received. I have never seen it myself. Um, yeah anyway a separate thing but um yeah i think i just basically my advice to anyone who's listening who hasn't seen secret invasion or has seen part of it and is wondering whether it's even worth going on um don't you know just like read the summaries watch like a recap you know i mean literally jen and i only continued watching it because like you know the marvels and like overall mcu plot purposes but like i honestly think if you're not like us and don't have a podcast about marvel <laughs> you can away with just not ever talking about it um yeah, yeah yeah i just that's that's just kind of like it i would say um if you want to hear our deep dive all the spoilers getting into what we didn't like about the show i would say that will commence now all right First thing, I, with the first episode, I saw Maria Hill, you know, appear and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, it's nice to have her around still, especially after losing Natasha. (laughs) And then she up and dies. And, okay. (sighs) Just so many things. (laughs) Um, She dies and I'm like, I have this, we have a, you know, running joke um, for us on the podcast about like that Natasha AU fix it that like I have, I need to get back to, I abandoned it because I ran out of ideas, um, but I need to come back to it um, and fix it so that Maria lives too, apparently, like, um, yeah, and so like, that was just like annoying and like, and then we get the reveal too that um, Nick Fury is married, and this is related to Maria. Um, I remember after um, Avengers Age of Ultron came out, um, there was, like, chatter about, like, you know, Clint with the surprise family and stuff. And, like, I remember someone on Tumblr saying, like, you know, it's like, oh, we see this man, you know, be an Avenger and have the family at home, like, you know, best of both worlds or whatever, you know, we don't really see that for women, you know, like, could you imagine if Maria had a husband, Maria Hill had a husband and a child at home or something just like, all right, go save the world, babe, or whatever, you know, or, uh, you know, any spouse at home, you know, um, doesn't have to be a husband, but like, you get the idea. And like, I was like, that's interesting. (laughs) I kind of like, and so like, honestly, in the back of my head, I always had that kind of headcanon, like, for all I know, Maria could have her own like secret family, like, why not? you know Mm -hmm. and then it's real that like nick fury has you know has a wife a scroll wife and like you know and i'm like oh so he wasn't lying to steve (laughs) when he appears in the winter soldier and says my wife kicked me out like did that actually happen i want to know now um yeah i feel like it did based on their relationship (laughs) 
that's true yeah i don't yeah i just what was that conversation like um like where yeah. she's She's like, don't bring your like Hydra nonsense here. Like, get out of my house. I'm like, what was that? Like, what was that fight? I wonder. I like to think that they were having some kind of a fight, and Nick was like crashing on a shield couch for a while, and like, (laughs) and the whole you know him faking his death thing happens. Maybe they reconcile because of everything that went down in Winter Soldier. yeah i don't know man it's just it's just really funny um so that's a good point about how like female spies aren't allowed to have like a personal life um because again i think we've got this idea of like well if dad has a job that means he has to be away all the time that's fine but like a woman can't have a job where she has to be away from her family all the time who's going to take care of the kids the dad ridiculous <laughs> nonsensical <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> yeah you know and so like but granted that's my own like personal um you know want or like desire for that character and like not necessarily like it's a subjective thing i will acknowledge yeah. that um and like it was a great scene one of the few great scenes uh-huh. in this series of like his um nick, nick fury's confrontation with her mother afterward like that was a well-acted scene i thought she was great I was sad that she actually doesn't show up. Like that was just like such an intense um, emotional moment, like, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, I just thought that was so interesting. And like, but in the end, like Maria Hill's death still feels kind of like a blip and inconvenience for Nick Fury later when like, you know, the scrolls use it against him to put him on the run. And I don't know, that just feels lame. Another female character fridged for, you know, uh, male character plot reasons. And you know, it was just annoying. And like, honestly, it was like the first signal to me that the show was not it. (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, the problem was more that I didn't care, you know, because like, I I've gotten to a point where I mean, the thing about fridging is I think that it's only it's only an issue because of how imbalanced it is gender wise. Like, it's one of those things where I don't think it's always bad if a female character gets killed. Because it's like, I don't know. I mean, theoretically, we could have a scenario where only male characters get killed to further female characters' plot lines. Um, but like, I don't know. I, I just, I th- it's one of those things where I'm just like, look, don't do it too much. But, you know, I'll, I'm willing to judge it on a case-by-case basis. But like, for me, the issue is that Maria Hill has just never really been a character. You know? Right. What do we know about her? Like, and- we don't know anything about her because she just kind of shows up gives exposition maybe she'll do a cool action thing and that's about it like we know she's kind of snarky and you know very calm under pressure but like that's something you can say about most of these characters like she's a spy that should come with the territory right and like it's so funny too because um not to like plug my unpublished fic but like I remember like being really interested in developing Maria Hill more as a character and like making her like, you know, Natasha second in command and like, you know, unpacking their relationship a little bit and like that being actually really fun for me. And the thing is like, we don't really see like Maria's um, relationship with Nick Fury like unpacked all that much. If anything, like we saw the most like actual interaction with them for how they work together in um far from home and then it turns out those were scrolls so that actually wasn't them it was like an actual married couple bickering which was (laughs) (laughs) which was the actual vibe i was getting and i was like huh this is interesting and then only oh that's not their dynamic okay got it (laughs) so yeah yeah 
And then, like, I mean, I think in this show, they definitely have some nice moments um, before she gets killed. But again, that's the thing is we just have some moments. She gets killed. Then there's that confrontation with her mom, which is a good scene. But, like, then it doesn't really come up. You know, you'd think at the end of the series, there would be some kind of, like, going back to that somehow. You know, like, some kind of closure. But nope. Like, Maria Hill just sort of stops being an issue after i mean i guess there's the whole issue of like him being a wanted man but you know that's that's about it in terms of kickstarting the plot and then there's also the question of like how famous are nick fury and maria hill within this world because they make it sound like oh you killed maria hill like she was a big deal it's like they're spies people aren't supposed to know who they are you know right i mean i guess like maybe they got more notoriety with like the battle of new york and even like the events of like the winter soldier but still i don't know that that's i don't yeah i it i don't know plot holes um i know but like even and the thing is okay let's say that they are both famous because of avengers stuff why doesn't nick fury ever try and like plead his case to the general public you know Like, why doesn't he try and say, hey, everyone, I'm warning you, there are aliens among us. Like, granted, probably he knows a lot of people won't believe him. But, you know, if there are people who still have goodwill towards him because of the stuff he's done with the Avengers, like, you'd think that he might want to try that. I I don't know. I feel like Nick Fury is not one to even, like, think of that. Like, like Steve yeah. Rogers was the one who made like motivational speeches and like that appealed to the heart. Like Nick Fury <laughs> has always, I know, look at me inserting two Steve references in this episode. I'm so proud of me. Go me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've started it because, like, that Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes episode was about Steve and Steve dealing with being impersonated by a squirrel, (laughs) people being mad at him, and Spider-Man being like, how can you not care that people are mad at you? And Steve's like, because I'm Steve, I don't care what people think. I'm not part of your system. (laughs) Yes. Anyway. Um, He doesn't say it like that. It's, It's more inspirational. But, like, that is the Steve brand yeah that is totally steve brand but yeah nick fury always relies on deception and manipulation i mean like the time he felt most in character like in this show was when they i mean leaned into that the 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 whole deception like doing like this subterfuge that like is yeah just like very questionable very morally gray um at the very least right and so, yeah. yeah, but like, okay, let's talk about the bigger issue. I want, I, I wanted to just get my little Maria rant out of the way. Um, but like the bigger issue is Nick Fury as a character. And so we've touched on it, how we just don't know what we're supposed to think about him. So like for me, when I was like watching like the first episode or the first couple episodes even, I was just kind of like, oh, man, what is with this? Like, Nick Fury has, like, lost his touch. Like, like the way he was, like, outsmarted and beat around. Like, I'm like, where's the guy who had that standoff against, like, Hydra and the Winter Soldier, you know? Like, that was, like, that's yeah. still one of my favorite action sequences in, in the MCU of, like, all time. And, like, mm-hmm. like I'm like, where's that guy, right? And, okay, oh, yeah. Yeah. And like, I am not opposed to deconstructing like this male action hero, like the epitome of masculinity and power and competence and like, 
you know, peeling that back and showing like a human underneath, like in and of itself, like I actually do like that a lot in storytelling. Um, often more than like other people do, male people do. <laughs> Sorry, that's yeah, not being, that's not being I fair. Think, <laughs> yeah. Well, we're just like living in an era when like people go absolutely ballistic if you show like male heroes not being Mary Sue's, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even if it's male heroes who never were. Again, to keep getting a sidetracked on other media, like. I recently, like, watching the the most recent Indiana Jones movie, um, I, I liked it much more than most people did. But, like, people were throwing a fit about, like, he's old and he can't do everything anymore. And I'm like, yeah, because he's old. Harrison Ford's 80. Like, what do you think he's supposed to be doing? Also, like, Indiana Jones was always someone who did not have superpowers. Like, he got beat up and he wasn't able to, like, walk it off immediately. Like, that's what made him likable because he's also a jerk you know like uh yeah people just like totally missing the point of these characters or just being unwilling to see them change or age like that's the thing is like you know time gets us all in the end it doesn't matter how badass you were when you were 20 when you're 50 60 70 80 you're just not going to be able to do the same things you were and like you know people who who look at some of these stories, I think they want these characters to just be the action figures they were playing with, you know? Right. Which doesn't make for a very interesting story, frankly. So, yeah. So I say that as the caveat, like I don't necessarily have a problem in and of itself with deconstructing um, Nick Fury's, um, I don't know if heroism is quite the right word, but let's just say heroism, um, you know, um, but I just feel like they didn't really actually explore it in any kind of meaningful way. I mean, all right, he has a wife, but like they don't, I don't know. I just feel like, you know, there's a lot of hurt there. And she's like, why did you go? Why did you leave? You know, and like, I don't know. It's like we're told by other characters, not Nick Fury, that like, um, you know, it's or well, I guess by Nick Fury too, like that it's like, oh, with the snap, you know, and, like, I just felt totally helpless, but also kind of relieved. Oh, wait, no, that was, I'm I'm thinking That of, was Gaia. Yeah, like, that was Gaia, actually. <laughs> Sorry. That's about that scene is that it's, like, he finally addresses the big question at the center of this story, and when he does, it's not him, it's Gaia. Yes, it's a woman getting into, like, his psyche and, like, peeling back the layers. And, like, and she could be pulling that all out of her butt. You know, we don't know. Like, <laughs> like exactly. I'm saying exactly. Yeah. Like, she, yeah. you know, we don't, maybe she had a conversation with Nick and she was like, hey, you know, if he wants to talk about this stuff, what do I say to him to, like, draw it out? But it's pretty, it seems to me, like, there's a really good chance that he, they never had this talk. Or I don't know, maybe they did. Maybe Gaia asked him the same questions and these are the answers Fury gave and she's just using that. But like, it just, again, why that shouldn't be happening off screen. That's something we should be seeing as the audience. We should be seeing Nick Fury, the character, explain, like, I don't want to say explain his motives because that sounds like I want everything spelled out. But it's like, you need to address this big issue of did, like, why did he leave? And also, like, did he, was he just using the scrolls or was he actually trying as best he could to help them, you know? Right. That's a big question. Then, like, what was the issue? What was so hard about finding a planet, you know? Like, 
like and it might have been you know but like it you know like but why just like i just need to i just need to understand that it's like oh every planet we thought was it like you know people already living there or like you know there's one aspect of it that is like not that makes it not um habitable by scrolls or something you know and like you know somewhere for them you know yeah i just i know Mm -hmm. like i find it hard to believe that like you know i don't know it just feels like was he trying right because we don't go into like any of the difficulties that they've run into and like okay if it's about like the trauma from the snap right and him feeling helpless like you know I don't know maybe like a flashback actually showing that and like what was it like for him when he first came back like what was his first reaction why didn't we see that you know exactly Mm -hmm. like I mean the thing is if he was traumatized by that experience like that absolutely makes sense you know he's he died and came back to life you know that's something most people do not experience um and also it's like for him you know his talk about being tired it's like that does make sense because like you know Samuel L. Jackson I think conveys this very intense sense of weariness from this character and it makes sense you know he's lived like being a spy for all these years and even before that it sounds like he is kind of, he's had a tough life so I can see him wanting to retire wanting to be out but also feeling like he can't because he's got too much too many things he's trying to do but then, you know, maybe tell us what he's been doing. Like, what has he been up to since the snap? Why was he in space? Was he still looking for scroll planets? Or was he do like just trying to build this defense system for Earth, you know? Right, exactly. It does make me wonder if they're gonna go into that in like the Marvels, but like for the purposes of the show, I think it's just like, no, get into it now. <laughs> like Exactly, because like that's what the show's about. Because well, the thing is again, I don't yeah. know what is about because Mm -hmm. like it it can be about one of two things either this is the story of a man who did the best he could but his best just was not good enough because you know the world is tough and sometimes you can do everything right and still fail that's a theme that's a message that's a story to tell or this is the story of someone who took advantage of a group of refugees in his mind, he was doing it for the greater good, but still he did a terrible thing. And now he is reaping the consequences. Like mm-hmm. what, what is this story? Is it, what is it the first one or is it the second one? What is the story they're trying to tell with this character? Yeah, exactly. I just, yeah, it's just not clear. I feel like it's leaning more towards the ladder. The show is trying to lean more towards the ladder, you know, but like, it's not really truly solidified for me. Yeah. Well, also, it's like, then what is his arc, you know, because he never talks about he never he never either doubles down and said, I did what I have to do, or do the other thing and being like, I have to make things right, because this is my mistake. You know, it's not like he doesn't seem like he's either trying to atone or being defensive. And I mean, granted, that first one isn't really a character arc. Granted, I feel like the character arc there would be, you know, someone beating him down to the point where he has to admit that what he did was wrong. But like, if his arc is he's, he's atoning for his sins, like, what? Okay, how? And also, he just doesn't seem that guilty. So I think it wants us to think it's the first one that he tried his best, but it just was he wasn't able to help. But like, again, I, I think... I maybe think that, but we we don't know. It never really 
addresses that question. And again, like this is presumably a core part of the scrolls motivation. Like we are supposed to believe that a lot of what, um, the, uh, uh, I'm I'm gonna I don't know uh, I can't remember his name um, the Ficus Ficus villain, um, <laughs> grab it a, a part of a core part of like Ficus is motive the Ficus's motivation here is that he's mad at Fury and that he feels like he has to you know go to the he has to go to kill all humans because they'll never accept him and that he was betrayed by Fury so like yeah, Fury kind of has to address that if the villain is out to get him, like, in, or is specifically motivated by his his behavior, you know? And just punching him with every different superpower doesn't answer that question or solve that ideological issue, you know? Right, okay, and so I guess I'll skip ahead to the finale and talk about the villain monologue and work backwards when it comes to um, the Ficus, yeah. a.k.a. Gravik. Um, so... All right, I will say this about his villain monologue. I, it was more interesting than the one from um, Kang in Loki, you know? That's <laughs> not saying much, yeah. but, <laughs> you yeah, know. That's yeah. actually, to me, the best part of... I, I didn't... I really found him very tiresome through, like, most of this series, but that was, like, the one section where I think, like, that actor... I mean, that actor, like, I think he's good. I just feel like either he's getting weird direction or he's you know, that character is kind of yanking him around. Um, but like that monologue actually to me landed, like the idea of, you know, I'm I'm sort of wearing the disguise of the first person I killed. I killed people for you. I did all these horrible things for you because I thought you were going to help and then you didn't. Like, you know, that's, that's sympathetic. It's just like nothing he, everything else he's doing is just kind of out of the like, I'm a bad guy, but I kind of have a point playbook. Like, yeah. I I just feel like that monologue should have, like, the themes for that and, like, the character beats for that should have come way sooner. Like, because Ooh, yeah. all we know for, about him throughout the whole series is just, like, okay, he's a radical scroll who is willing to wipe out all of humanity in order for scrolls to thrive and take over the planet. It has a little bit of that um magneto x-men like energy you know and like yeah. broadly speaking in terms of that philosophy um but he's also like very unstrategic like a terrible leader yeah like the way that he just like kills that guy for talking back to him in front of everybody and he's like yeah because none of you matter and i'm like i'm sorry um <laughs> You like, how did you get any of these people to work for you in the first place if you act like that? Exactly. I'm just like, that is a bad move because they're all going to turn on you. And sure enough, they did. And yeah. like, you know, I mean, and he killed them all because he got all those powers and everything. But like, like, that's not sustainable in the long run. Like, you know, he, like he can't like exist is just like one scroll like what's his, what was his plan what was his thinking if like all the scrolls have turned against him or at least the yeah. ones that were directly working for him like what is the point of him going on after that like i mean like clearly his behavior makes it sh like clear that he like is not actually in it for the scrolls and protecting scrolls um like you know and preserving like their way of life even at the expense of of humans you know, it's just about himself. He just wants to become superpower. It's about his personal vendetta against Fury. And like, okay, but like, 
again, very unstrategic, just like the way that he just like totally, you know, ruins any sense of morale that was there before. And like, um, and then it's just like a total twerp. <laughs> There's no other way to put yeah. it. He's a, just a total twerp. And oh, yeah. this is a little thing, but like when Gaia, you know, he and Gaia face off after like he knows that she's betrayed him, which all right, at least he was smart enough to figure that out. Uh, a baby could see through that, though. Let's be real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really obvious that, like, also, oh, the the woman whose dad is working against you maybe had like a conversation with her dad and is siding with him. Like, that's <laughs> you know that that just seems yeah. It, you're right. It's very obvious, but also like the fact that he like basically lets her live after she knows she's betrayed him. Right. Like, I don't know. It's just like he and he like orchestrates the whole thing just to like prove it, prove it. But like, really, like, come on, you've you've killed people for way less proof. Like, did like yeah. it makes me wonder, like, could there have been like an exploration of like a relationship, not necessarily romantic between the two of them, where like he actually cared about her and that's why he didn't. But like, no, he just doesn't care about anybody. But like, OK, getting back to that face off scene, like he like she's like you're not like a pe you know you're not for the scrolls like she makes this whole impassioned speech about like you know how he has failed as a scroll leader but like before she even like finishes he just shoots her right like and like yeah. her um i don't know if i would call it full of monologue but like her calling him out is totally cut off by him shooting her before she's even finished and it just like takes away the emotional weight of that it's just like, oh, mm -hmm. she's dead. What she said didn't matter, you know? And, like, it just gave me that feeling, and it was really annoying, <laughs> right? And yeah. I was like, cool, another female character killed off. And it turns out that she wasn't, but, like, that was my experience in that moment watching that episode for the first time, right? Not knowing what was happening next. And so it was just kind of like, oh, really? You're going to waste Amelia Clark like that? fine you know just yeah. <laughs> only for him to get, like, the last word, so to speak. And it was just like annoying but like it also just showed again that like he it really was never about protecting his people it was about himself and like yeah. his like thirst for power and control but like to what end really like if he got what he wanted like would everyone including the scrolls have died and it's just him like ruling over this one planet like what then dude like yeah, what what's then the here? yeah um but also it's like, I mean, part of it is just like, we've seen too many friggin' characters like this, you know, like it was when Killmonger did the, you know, villain has a point, but is so corrupted by anger and, you know, the society he lives in that he's, you know, he's only going to just replicate the oppressive system he says he's rebelling against. Like that made sense. And it was also rooted in like a real world political context and I mean, yeah, both of the Black Panther villains have been like people who had points, um, but, you know, are kind of awful about it. Um, but they've not been able, to, I feel like they've been consciously trying to make another Killmonger, but they haven't been able to do it. Like Carly from uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is a character who feels like, it's like, look, she's making good points. And now she's just murdering people because she's mad. It's like, okay, you, you didn't really even need this whole plot, but like, she's not the new Killmonger. And then this guy feels like it's the same thing of like, oh, look, he's got some good points, but now he's just murdering his own people left and right. So, you know, and it's like, okay, again, you can't just keep doing this and have it still work. And again, especially if it's totally divorced from like 
the real world context of the Black Panther villains. Um, so like, yeah, it's just, it's just really frustrating. I'm like, okay, can we, can we please have villains that are different instead of just trying to chase like the flavor of your best ones, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe just have some villains who are straight up bad. Like maybe just have Gravik be an alien who wants to take over earth because he wants it, you know, or like, I don't know, he could be some kind of, I think there's some aspect in some of the comics where like the scrolls have some kind of religious thing about earth or there's some kind of prophecy or something like that. Like, yeah, just like have him be a cultist or something, you know? Yeah. I think he just like, he doesn't have like the charisma. I think, uh, that is necessary to keep him interesting either not not that he didn't have any necessarily like you could see how he could but like i don't know he just never really got a chance to shine in that way and he didn't necessarily need to but you know um when we get to that moment of like emotional vulnerability and he's like i mean like you said caroline like he says like this is the man i killed and like you know but he had a wife and kids i mean sure he was misguided and i'm like misguided about what why did Nick Fury have you kill him? What was the circumstances? Can we peel back your trauma, sir? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, also it's like his backstory about how like you know his family were all killed in like the war and he's escaped. It's like okay, you know that could be compelling. Maybe we could have a flashback to when he was a kid, or maybe we could learn more about this whole like Kree Scroll War because it's a big part of it. But also, it's like, why are the Skrull not mad at the Kree? I mean, I get that a bunch of them are still fighting the Kree or were fighting the Kree. But it's like, why isn't he, if his parents were killed by the Kree, why isn't he going after the Kree, you know? Heck, maybe have that be his main goal. Maybe it's like, oh, Earth has this all this powerful superhero gobbledygook nonsense. Let me mine that, and then we'll make Super Skrulls, and then the Super Skrulls will have a chance of fighting the Kree, and I can avenge my family, you know? Dude, yeah, that's already such a much better motivation. <laughs> like, yeah. like e- even for something as, I think, kind of silly as the harvest. Um, but like, um, the harvest is. I mean, it, a part of it too is just like again the same stuff over and over and over again. Like enough with the vials full of people's DNA already. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I guess we might as well delve into the harvest thing. Unless there was anything else you wanted to say about Gravik, but. Um, well, with the harvest, I was just going to say She-Hulk made fun of it. Like, it, it's gotten to the point where even its own, you know, the, the Marvel media is making fun of this being a played out thing of like the superhero DNA constantly being a plot point, you know, like She-Hulk made fun of this and it's climax. Like, listen to She-Hulk. She told you it was played out. <laughs> Right, exactly, and I mean, and like they go into like with Steve's DNA and the Falcon and Winter Soldier shoot, even this first season of Agent Carter, like you know, um, at least that had emotional core to it. But yep. yeah, I like okay, the existence of the Harvest in the first place though really annoyed me. Like yeah. it, it felt very in character for Nick Fury to want to collect the DNA of all of these. Um, you know avengers and everything like that totally makes sense that's so, absolutely something he yeah. would do you know but also i'm just like that is also just the dumbest thing you could do like that felt like you know i'm yeah. gonna take a proactive you know stance to like collect this dna in case we need like these powers you know like it felt like you know tony stark creating ultron like i'm gonna be proactive yeah, about saving the world and put it in more danger in the process yeah well or it's like doing something that doesn't have a really clear 
like motivate you know because the thing with like ultron is tony's whole idea doesn't make any sense of like well what if i have robots everywhere then i can solve these problems it's like how how will robots solve the alien invasion problem right like you know how or how is an advanced ai using this you know stone from space that you don't actually know what it does like how is that going to solve anything and same with like the harvest it's like okay nick like it would be one thing if fury actually were using the dna like if he were you know getting shield agents to make themselves into you know people with these different powers if he were making a case that like this is something we have to do right now there's a superhero arms race on um I mean, also, if he was doing that, I'm just, like, surprised he waited until Endgame to get the DNA. I feel like it's something he might have had, you know, from day one. It's like, oh, yeah, I've got some, you know, Hulk DNA just hanging out for whoever, if we need to make a backup. For, I mean, I guess you can say that they're back for backups. Like, you know, if, if Bruce dies, we can make a new Bruce type of thing. Um, but, yeah, I feel like he should, if he thinks it's so important, he should already be doing something with it, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It just, like, I just was mad because I'm like, this is creating more problems than it's solving. And, like, it's oh, yeah. just <laughs> ludicrous. Again, totally in character. But, yeah, yeah just very annoying. <laughs> yeah. um, and the like, thing is, to me, yeah. like, the thing I find really interesting about Fury is, like, again, it's this whole idea of he is the one who compromises, like, for the greater good. He does things that other people do not necessarily have the guts to do. And like, sometimes that means that he makes really bad judgment calls where he does a bad thing, but it only creates more bad things. Like, I mean, that's kind of the point of the winter soldier is that he does, does something that he thinks is like, all right, yes, this is morally questionable, but it's going to keep us safe. And, you know, it turns out actually, no, it won't keep anyone safe because the kind of people who want to build like a floating doom machine are the kind of people you can't trust to have a floating doom machine. Um, so like, you know, that's definitely something he's done before, but at least like with Project Insight, you understood why he bought into it. You know, like this, this just, this is just dumb to me. Like this doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah. So, and so it's like, it's frustrating too for me because like for for me with this character I've always kind of found that that moral ambiguity and also that question of like how much do you compromise to be really fascinating because like he's a sort of a, a more morally complicated character in a universe of straight up you know capital H heroes and I mean also you know I, I have a fondness for fandom punching bags and like when I first got into the fandom it seemed like everybody hated him so there was a part of me that was like, no, I, I'm going to stand. I, I love Nick Fury. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like they did. They did Samuel Jackson dirty. They did you dirty. They did anyone dirty who like actually liked Nick Fury as a character. And like, I was neutral about him before. And I, yeah. I guess I'm neutral about him now. So like, what's really changed? Nothing. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let me, I, I really feel like they wasted uh, Samuel L. Jackson because like I think he's a really he's he's a very good actor you know he's extremely charismatic and like some of the scenes where you get you know it gets to be a little bit quiet and you get Nick Fury you know kind of talking about himself like some of those are some of the best scenes in this um but you don't get enough of them and also again like you don't get the sense that this person is super competent and smart and like always a step ahead. You know, people keep saying like, you've lost your edge. You're bad at this now.
But like, you'd think that that's the beginning of a character arc where like he gets his groove back, you know, especially after like what he's saying with the snap is like, I felt tired, you know, again, if that's how he felt that he was traumatized by the snap. And like, this is an example of him kind of, you know, showing the world like that it still needs him or something. Maybe that's what this was supposed to be about. It seemed like that's what they were setting the foundation for, but like, I don't know what he did. He kind of seems like he just made everything worse. Right? Exactly. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, and also, like, the whole thing with the scrolls, like the fact that it's like, oh, he's been using scrolls all this time to, you know, do all this espionage stuff. And it's like, if that's true, then it's, it kind of makes him seem way less competent than he was set up as in these previous installments. Like, yeah, it just, it really makes, gets rid of, like you, I think you said, it's like, it takes away a lot of his agency. It's like, it takes away a lot of his agency and his, like his own accomplishments. Cause like he says in that monologue about how, like, you know, I was raised by, I was raised by a single mother. I'm just a normal person who got where I got because of what's between my head or between my ears, you know? And like, if that's supposed to be who he is, then they undermine it by being like, no, he just had a bunch of shape-shifting aliens do all his work for him. Right. And that's like, yeah, an interesting pressure point that they don't put enough pressure on. (laughs) So, yeah, okay. I'm going to talk about one of the, uh, like, only character, like, I actually love, like, is my Vlorbo, and that's Talos. I can't believe they killed Talos. I mean, I can, but, like... I'm annoyed that they killed him. He was the only one that, yeah. like, I was, like, like rooting for. Even if he was, like, incredibly naive. Like, I mean, his whole thing with, yeah. like, Gaia, I'm just, he's like, I'm just gonna show that there are good scrolls. And she's like, that's a terrible plan and I'm not going. <laughs> and, like, yeah. honestly, I, you know, I can't blame Gaia for not buying into that. And, like, yeah. yeah. She's right. She's, yeah, she's, she was also- right. It's like she kind of ends up just doing the same thing with Sonya at the end of the series. Yeah. You know? um, and yeah, it's also too bad because like um, Amelia Clark is good when she's not in Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, while, while we're doing spicy hot takes, um, Daenerys Targaryen is just like one of the worst, most inconsistently written characters in all of fiction. Um and so a lot of people, I think, blamed Amelia Clark's acting for part of that. And like, no, it was the writing. She's a good actress. Like, it's not her fault. Um, but yeah, she's good in everything else I've seen her in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. She, I don't know. Amelia, Han- Amelia Clark has been dealt like a pretty terrible hand. Like the Han Solo movie, yeah. I actually liked her in that. But like, then they know. cut off that storyline. But whatever. Yeah. <sighs> Anyway, well, I don't understand. Yeah, I want to see her back in that, like, in some kind of continuation of that story. Because, like, yeah, I, as someone who doesn't like, who generally is lukewarm on Star Wars, um, I actually thought that was a good movie, and she was good in that. So, um, yeah, no, she just keeps getting screwed by some of these these things, and now her character, like, they're gonna have to do something with her character because again, she apparently has everybody's powers. So. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, not my first choice, obviously, but, like, I, not the worst choice, hopefully, you know, I just, I don't know, I, like, I thought, you know, she was, like, the most, like, nominally the most interesting character for most of the series, because, like, of the tension with Talos, and, like, the fact that she did go with Gravik, and, you know, and losing her mom, and then losing her dad, you know, and, like, but, like, 
I just feel like they could have showed maybe that struggle a little more and like, you know, and like, I don't know, just have them like peel back the layers of her relationship with Talos because I feel like we just know very little about it. It's just like that she just got fed up with his optimism, but then, you know, also, I don't know. I guess I don't understand why she ended up deciding to help after all. It was just about her mom. It was it not about was it about her morals and like thinking Gravik's gone too far? Like I'm actually not clear on that. Like why mm-hmm. she Yeah. I don't Yeah, it's like um I mean again, it's just it's really frustrating too because like at the heart of it, it's like the scrolls feel like there's some kind of big metaphorical significance with them. And it's kind of a the thing in the like I think that the Captain Marvel twist of being like actually they're refugees you know that could be interesting but the problem is then if you're going to try and turn it around and have it be like secret invasion where actually they control the government and stuff it's like you're already playing with so many like really kind of bad tropes and like conspiracy theories and stuff it's like I think it would have been better if we never had that Captain Marvel retooling and like the scrolls were just like straight up bad guys who wanted to invade earth and then like talos and his branch were kind of a splinter group to be like hey you know this is a whole race of people obviously not all of them are bad but you know a lot of them are just trying to take over earth and like i'm not saying that because like that's how they did it in the comics you know it's like i don't care a lot of the decisions they make in this these things are better than in the comics but like it does end up with kind of this implication that like oh, there's a bunch of refugees who want to come and live on your planet? Don't trust them. They can turn into other people and they're going to take over your life, you know? Yeah, there, there is a weird, I mean, especially when you think of, like, the real-life scenario, like, in America right now regarding refugees and everything. It's just, like, and conspiracy theories and all of that. Yeah. It's just, like, yeah, it's pretty icky when you really think about it. So, you yeah, know. that's a good point. It's like there's there's definitely room for some kind of a like a more, a more morally complicated scenario with them. Like, for instance, if the idea is that they're coming to Earth to invade, but it is because like they've been, you know, they're the victims of genocide on the part of the Kree. Like, you know, that's complicated. It's like, OK, you know, what do you do about that? Because like this is definitely something you know, if you're looking at, for instance, American history, like a lot of the European immigrants who came in the 1800s were fleeing like either, you know, persecution or colonialism or famines or, you know, horrible living conditions to come to the this country. But like, you know, there were a lot there are lots and lots of indigenous people who are already living here. Um, so, you know, it's something where it's like you could make a parallel to that of like, okay, we understand where you're coming from, but also like, this is still our our land, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so like, I don't know, just like the whole conflict between the father and daughter, like, you know, I mean, like when we when we thought that guy had died, I was like, I was like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> the only character who yeah. had like a potential interesting story, like to peel back, but then she wasn't dead and they kill off the dancer. And so like, we, I we're still denied it either way. And like, I only felt bad about her death, like, marginally because of Talos. And we're just like, oh, no, that's going to wreck him. But we don't actually see that, you know. <laughs> we don't even yeah. really see, like, his death wreck her. I mean, kind of. We do. We touch on it. But, like, that's the thing. We well, just we also touch don't on see, it. We also don't really see Fury's reaction to Talos' death. And, like, 
the two of them clearly have this strong friendship and like they also they bicker like an old married couple right Um, (laughs) you know like that's the thing is I like Fury's relationship with his wife I think that is really interesting and like I think there's an interesting um I mean again while we're talking about like these big questions like there's some there's some interesting stuff that this series is bringing up like there's definitely in terms of like some of the stuff Nick says references to you know his identity as a black American man you know he talks about like he mentions I think there's a reference to like Paul Robeson when he's in Moscow and you know he makes a a comment to Maria when they're talking about like you know well it's because of old you know says a word that uh, I can't say and he points out that Maria can't say it you know it's like there's and also the idea of like oh there's a black American man on this train well the black American man there may as well be an alien like you know there's a lot and also the idea of Nick's wife you know having to or having to or putting on liking to put on this other face when they're together it's like you know, that could be a reference to like, you know, racially passing, like, there's all these interesting, you know, racial elements. And like the fact that it's kind of seems like for Nick, he draws this parallel between like, you know, he knows what it's like to live, you know, live during segregation and saying like, uh, you know, humans can't get along with other humans, they can't get along with aliens. You know, like, there's just a lot of interesting stuff they keep gesturing at, but I feel like it doesn't really, like, I don't know, actually cohere into anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And like, yeah, his and, and Talos, Talos's di- dynamic was honestly, like, it was fun. It was interesting. I mean, like the whole the bickering thing, like I, yeah. I, you know, someone pointed out the eroticism, the homoeroticism to me later. And I was like, oh, I see it now. <laughs> you know, I yeah. just, yeah. Um, help me Talos I'm useless without you like what's um <laughs> you know yeah. that was just it was very funny I don't know I was tickled by it um they definitely give up to me they definitely give off married couple vibes I don't know why specifically but also I think like there's a line at the end where Sonya's like well the problem is that they let love and friendship get in the way I'm like hmm love interesting <laughs> I know yeah exactly and I that could have been interesting to explore too I don't know I like I basically I enjoyed um the old married couple energy between them more than I did between the actual married couple of Nick Fury and Vara yeah. slash Priscilla um mm-hmm. you know yeah. I yeah I don't know well, I mean part of the problem is it's like it's hard for us to get that invested in that relationship when you know we've only just met her and we've only just learned about their relationship um, although I will say the part where they both shoot at each other and yeah. they shoot all, and then they say, and then he's like, I'm not sure if we should get divorced or renew our vows. Like that to me is like peak spy romance. So yeah. I, I did like that moment. I liked some of their, the moments, you know, and I think that actress did a really good job with the role, but like, and you know, some of her, her and Gaia, like, that's the thing is I wanted there to be more of like her and Gaia. Cause like Gaia is one of the most interesting characters and you know she's an a potentially interesting character and like the two of them together especially like the part where guy is like i don't know the prayers you know i'm like that seems like it's very again kind of gesturing at this idea of like gaia being you know a child of immigrants who doesn't necessarily isn't as connected to like her home culture type of thing like right again that's the frustrating thing about this show is there's just like so much wasted potential like there's these gestures at these interesting ideas but it never like totally lands or I mean like I wanted there's this whole other thing about like okay this idea of people who can impersonate other people 
is again the plot of like invasion of the body snatchers which is like one of the most debated potentially symbolic films in the science fiction canon you know that's something where it's like there's so much art debate about what it represents and like what this could be because it's like a lot of people can see something in this idea of like people being replaced by doppelgangers um and especially you know nowadays when it's like there's so much like fake news and post-truth and like ai you know manipulated images and ai pretending to be people and it's like you know we yeah that's like that's another thing that they could have been discussing in this show like there's like the race issues there's the issues of like immigration or refugees and like there's the issue of again potentially like ai and fake news like there's just there's so much that this could have been about and yet it was about nothing nothing i know nothing yeah Yeah. okay all right so i've talked about talos i talked about uh fury and gaia and all that i want to talk about one character i did like um i loved sonia like i wanted the show like to, I, I thought like this show should be about her like she needs to be in charge of like you know this like taking on gravic and everything like why aren't we following her <laughs> um, oh no yeah like, yeah she i was really excited when i saw that olivia coleman was going to be in this because i love her um and her like her character I just love that that combination of that like cheeriness with like her absolute ruthlessness and like I think one of my favorite lines is when she's confronting the like the scroll couple and the guy's like holding the woman at gunpoint and she's like oh well that's that's males of the species they're not gaslighting you they're threatening to murder you at least that's what the podcast say and it's like of course, like, that's her, you know, her kind of view of human. It's, like, not from her own perspective. Like, we have no idea what her personal life looks like. It's just she re- listens to, like, this is what the podcasts say people do, you know. Like, I just think she has this such a detached view of humanity. It's really fascinating. I know. Um, it's so, she's so fun, though, and so competent. Yeah. Yeah. Also, my, my other, like, the only, one of the, yeah, that's, like, one of the only times I laughed. And another only time I laughed during the series, like there's like three lines. I already mentioned the one Nick Fury <laughs> said Maria Hill that was funny. And then there was like her line, some, a couple, a few of her lines I've made me laugh, especially like one of my favorite was like the little owl when she, he's bugged it and she gives it a little eye patch and calls it Nick Fury. Like, <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And just like, how did they know each other? Like, what's her story? Like I, I want to know, know more about her. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know their their backstory. And I mean also um apparently her official last name is Fallsworth, which is one of the Howling Commandos. So I'm like is she related mm. to the Howling Commandos? You know, mm. that's a cool idea. Um yeah. but well the other thing too is like she's the only character who came up with a method for figuring out if people are scrolls. Granted her method is shoot them or stab them or chop off their finger, but like it was very effective. Yeah. But like, no one's trying to figure out if any, like, that's the thing is there's no, you know, part of the plot that involves, like, trying to come up with some kind of scroll detector, like. Yeah, like, that would be so smart. Like, if we were watching yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., like, Fitzsimmons would have been all over that, like. Totally. Yeah. Like, but also, it's like, Nick has, this is not a new thing. Nick has known these people for decades he's married to one of them you'd think he would know how to tell if someone's a scroll um yeah it's like 
I just feel like so many of these problems would have been solved if the scrolls were not in Captain Marvel and if they were only just showing up now in this series. And so this series was about like, or it was like maybe they just showed up in these cameos of like, wait, how did these two people turn into green aliens? Who are those green aliens? And then this series is, these are who these green aliens are. Let's explain things. Like, yeah, I get, yeah, I guess so. I mean, you know, one thing that like I thought like was gonna happen is there's a there's a point where nick fury is like saying what aren't you telling me talos like there's some kind of is there something more to you being than you guys being driven out by the kree and i was like oh what was it was there something that they did that actually made the kree say no get out you know or something like what like i thought that was leading somewhere where it's like actually super insidious um and then they didn't that would be a great twist if it's like the scrolls are saying like, oh, we're just peaceful refugees and the Kree tried to kill us all. And it's like, actually, it turns out the scrolls started the war with the Kree, you know, because it's like we know from Captain Marvel and from other properties that the Kree are like and Guardians of the Galaxy and like, you know, just excluding Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because like we've watched some of that. But like you've watched all of that. I've watched some of it. But like <laughs> if you're an average Marvel fan and you've just watched like Captain Marvel and the Guardians movies, you would already have this idea that the Kree are super militaristic and dangerous. But then if it's like, oh no, actually the scrolls are even scarier than the Kree, you know, that would be a great twist. Yeah, I thought that's where they were going with it. Or even just like that, like the scrolls somehow just destroyed their own planet. I mean, we think about like us and poisoning our own planet. Like imagine like the fact that they maybe had done the same thing or wanting to start a fresh here like some people want to start yeah. fresh on the moon or mars in our world or whatever or maybe if it's like you know they know they can live in radioactive environments what if they actually like radioactive environments like what if for them in order to terraform earth they would have to basically nuke all of it yeah i don't know these these are all interesting questions right and but it turns yeah. out the big secret is just like that he's been like letting all of the scrolls come which really nick fury is that supposed to be surprising like why is he surprised by this? Yes. Nick should Nick should have figured that out. Yes, like, of course they're all gonna come. Like, what did you expect? <laughs> oh, but why? Like, why is Nick Fury so dumb in this? I don't understand. I will like, never understand. So He's so incompetent. Is he another scroll? I mean, that's what I thought. Um, I didn't think they were gonna do it, but I was like, the only way for this to make sense is if he's actually a scroll the whole time. Um, yeah. Oh, speaking of scroll. Speaking of scroll, scroll reveals though. Um, the one with Rhodey. I was like, when we we're watching his scene, Rhodey's like scene with like tense conversation with um, Nick Fury and like brother. You want to call me a brother and blah blah blah. And like talking to him with such attitude and like like just being so done with Nick Fury. And I'm like, and something about his attitude like kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm like, this doesn't feel like Rhodey. And also like. He was best friends with Tony Stark and had to deal with all of those shenanigans. And I'm supposed <laughs> to believe that he got fed up with Nick Fury about this. Like, Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> that is so true. It's like someone who managed to put up with Tony Stark for decades really, you know, pro- has a much longer leash on his temper than this. Yes. I, and I was like, I don't understand this. This doesn't feel like Rhodey. And so when it, 
was revealed that it wasn't ready. I'm like, I knew it. <laughs> like, yeah. I felt like I was a better scroll detector than Nick Fury in that moment. Yeah, like it, that's the thing is it's so obvious. And also, again, getting back to why is Nick Fury so stupid in this show? Nick is someone who is a spy, who is good at reading people, who is good at picking up on danger, and who also knows Rhodey. Like if we, you know, the audience can like, I mean, I guess there's a joke here about the idea that like, actually, Rhodey's been a scroll this whole time. And it was like, Terrence Howard was the real Rhodey. Yeah. And they were- with Don Cheadle that was the swap out but somehow nobody noticed Uh like there's there's a joke here about that um but like yeah why can't Nick figure out that this isn't Rhodey if it's like if it's very obvious I mean also the fact that Rhodey like says he wants to carpet bomb like Slovenia or Sokovia or I'm not sure what country it is because someone looked at him funny it's like look I get that Rhodey's you know code name is war machine but like He's not, you know, he's not some kind like he's not some kind of psycho who's like, you looked at me funny, I'm gonna murder you. It's just weird. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah so that reveal was unsurprising. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also like it makes me like wonder sort of what thematically we're supposed to take away from his conversation with Fury. Because like on the one hand, Fury going to the level of being like, help me out, I'm also a black guy. You know, that kind of seems, again, it's not like something I feel like Nick Fury in other contexts wouldn't say, you know, he's, as I said, like, it, it, it seems really kind of pathetic to, like, throw yourself on Rhodey like that, to be like, come on, man, help me out. But, like, are we supposed to view it as, you know, the speech that Rhodey gives about how, like, no, I'm not going to just, like, help other, you know, I'm not going to help, like, mediocre Black guys replace mediocre white guys. Or are we supposed to see it as like, oh, we can tell that's not Rhodey because, you know, he would have more loyalty to Fury in this situation. Or at least would have addressed him with more compassion. Like he could have like yeah. not agree with Fury and say, I'm not going to help you. But he would have said it with more kindness and politeness, I think, at the very yeah. least. Absolutely. Because it's like, like, I think to that scene where like he meets with with Sam in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And like, Rhodey is someone who, you know, during Civil War was like seriously badly injured. Um, and then as soon as the teammates he was fighting against in Civil War show up again, like his first response is to give him a hug. Like, and also, you know, the sensitivity and the compassion that like he showed to Sam during Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It's like, Rhodey is just, again, if that's a good point that like, if he and Fury were having this conversation, you'd think that his, if this were real Rhodey, his reaction would be to say like, Nick, you've done a lot of great things and I appreciate that. No one can take that away from you, but you really need to call it, you need to retire. Like everyone has, you know, their limits and this is yours, you know, something like that. Yes, that would have been absolutely in character, which, you know, obviously it didn't have to be because it was a scroll, but it's just like, it just muddles a lot of characters and not mm-hmm. even for scroll reasons. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also like there should have been at least one moment of like there being a some kind of big reveal and not just like the twist at the end where it's like, oh, you know, of course it makes sense for Nick to have Gaia go in instead of himself. So he's not like going into the radiation area and just hoping the pills will help him for a while. Like, yeah, that was a sensible thing to do. But it's not like a big, oh, this character that we thought we could trust the whole time is actually a scroll. You know, like if it turned out Sonya was a scroll in the end, or even that doesn't necessarily work because we only just met her. But like, but also how does Nick know that she isn't a scroll? Like, 
if she were a scroll and she's going around exposing all the other scrolls, that would be kind of a, I don't know, it would mean people wouldn't suspect her. But like, yeah, how does Nick know that the people he's actually working with aren't scrolls? Like, right? I would expect him to at least ask like questions that like no one else must know about. Although if they're taking their minds, I guess that doesn't help. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Just some kind of attempt, though. Just nice. like. Yeah, it, it it's just this 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 show, man. It's one of it's it's like there are just so many things that I can think of that would have made it work better that wouldn't totally change it. But also, again, just like this premise is so potentially interesting. And you know, even if you don't want to, you want to make it. Maybe if they wanted to make something that didn't affect the rest of the MCU, you could totally do that. You could totally be like, this whole scroll thing happened, and no one learned about it because Fury was able to keep it contained and bury it. You know, like if that's what they wanted to do, they could totally do that. But like, they can't. I mean, also the thing with Nick is Nick should be hyper paranoid for this kind of stuff. This kind of these kinds of betrayals because he's already been betrayed like he came to the realization in winter soldier that the organization he was working with was full of hydra like he should have more guards up now for this kind of thing right like why is he so gullible i don't understand but also again why doesn't he have like a specific backup plan for if whatever whoever i'm working with turns out to be evil again like, this is my protocol, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, so there's that. Um, any other, like, big level issues that we haven't talked about? We talked about Gaia, Gravik, Fury, Taylor. I mean, anything else about these characters that we haven't already addressed? Um, I mean, this isn't a character thing. It's more of a, like, maybe this is one of the reasons why the whole like project had to be rewritten or something got changed last minute. But some of the stuff about like the conflict between Russia and the United States, like the fact that that's um, an inciting incident, like this was all, I think all of this was probably written and planned out or partially planned out and written before like the war in Ukraine um, or maybe during it. So I kind of wonder how much of that was like, being retooled to fit this like part of the fact that they have this idea of like oh it's a false flag thing of like american extremists and like american extremists are busy in america you know like <laughs> i don't think and even so like the ones that are the most like unhinged and dangerous you know nowadays they all like russia um because either they are russian bots or they've been listening to russian bots so like i i don't i don't see where that's coming from but uh I don't know. That was just something that that kind of bugged me is I'm like, okay, this feels a lot of the stuff about the US and Russia kind of feels like it was written either pre-war in Ukraine or potentially like this is something that got changed to reflect what was going on with Ukraine. Um I in Ukraine. Like I I don't know. You know, it just yeah. it all feels kind of I mean part of it too is like this is taking place in an alternate universe that is post blip. It has different politicians presumably, you know, it, it just feels very much like it's trying to be this big international political conspiracy thriller, but it kind of has very murky politics or it's like, it's very kind of unclear what the new political situation is vis-a-vis -vis, like the United States and Russia, you know? Right. Or even just globally. Right. 
Um, shout out though to Dermot Moroni as uh, the president though. Loved seeing that guy. Um, <laughs> just staying alive by the skin of his teeth. That was just. <laughs> um of course you know he turns into a scroll bigot at the end but like it's i'm like jen and i are both like okay we understand where that's coming from but why do you have to swing this hard in this direction we understand it but why but <laughs> like, also like are you a scroll yourself yeah i so many that's questions it seems, it seems like he gets healed up too quickly hmm. it's if at least for me like it seems like he seems kind of better too quickly and he's a little bit like the fact that he immediately goes like, all right, even though a scroll helped save me, I'm going to war with all the scrolls. I mean, like, I'm not saying that like a pres, you know, there's been a lot of very dumb presidents over the past couple of hundred years. Um, you know, not even counting recent ones. Like, I mean, I think we can all agree that Warren Harding was pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> but, like, even taking that into consideration, it's like, the idea of declaring war on like all aliens i mean i guess it could make sense because it's like there have been so many alien related incidents you can see a bunch of people in the mcu just being like that's it we're fed up with aliens um but uh but yeah it seems like a kind of a nonsensical immediate swerve um but also again i'm just like wait are you actually a scroll is this some kind of like 3d chess thing for the next round of the invasion yeah, I don't get it. I, it's weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, but also so, it's like they should be able to find the people because they found all the people who were being impersonated. They should be able to find the scrolls. I mean, I get that at the end there have they have this whole situation where like people are just going out and taking the law into their own hands. But it's right. like even that, you know, maybe that could have been the beginning of this series, you know, it's like have a prominent something go down with the scrolls, and then have like a bunch of vigilantes go against scrolls. And then you have Kravik and like the other radical scrolls being like, look, see, we can't cohabitate with this humans, these humans, this is war, like, you know, right, we got to fight back and we'll take over their governments like, you know, something like that. That right, would make right. their that would be sense. another X-Men parallel, I feel like, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's another thing is, like, I wonder, is part of the problem, like, they don't want to make X-Men parallels because the X-Men are now in the MCU? Like, that's the thing is, like, I there's a part of me that's like, is this whole thing as bad as it is just because, again, sometimes TV shows end up like that? Or is it like it's being hamstrung by issues with the larger MCU and how it fits into that in terms of like what they're allowed to do and not do? As I said, like something, the fact that this is all as like slapdash and nonsensical as it is feels like it was either written very quickly or it was like there was a more of a plan, but it was like hastily rewritten, you know? I mean, again, maybe it's just the issue that like this is why we have a writer's strike right now. Maybe they just gave them no time to do this script like that that would make sense for me like that to me I'm like okay if this were written again my, my go-to example is like okay if something was written in a weekend where the writers just like locked themselves in some room and then like pounded Red Bull and ordered a bunch of pizzas and they wrote everything in a weekend like that and there was no revision like that's kind of how this <laughs> reads this whole show feels to me it's like someone wrote it over the course of a weekend and then weren't able or didn't revise it yeah mm. yeah it's a real shame <laughs> the whole thing but yeah. okay yeah so there's that um one thing i i 
small shout out though but like all the the black widow references um like with the widow's veil and like rick mason showing up helping out nick fury for reasons um yeah okay nice <laughs> glad to see that the widow's veil is acknowledged and like a fun little cameo from that guy um so yeah i don't have much to report on it or anything i just thought that was cool yeah, um, I also thought that like him having stuff stashed in a fake Nick Fury tombstone. Oh yeah, um, it's kind of a fun callback to uh, Winter Soldier. Um, and I mean, I also did like the quote he had on his fake tombstone, but I kind of felt like that meant that he was going to die at the end of the season, and he doesn't. So mm. you know, like I, I thought that this was like leading up to him sacrificing himself or something. Oh really? Oh okay, I hadn't gotten that impression yeah. at all, but. Because, um, well, it was just because of the tombstone. Because in, in mm. Winter Soldier, I think the quote on the tombstone is just a reference to Pulp Fiction. Um, and then in this, the quote is, uh, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Mm. And so to me, I kind of thought it was going towards Nick, again, has to sort of die to, to like make up for all the damage he's done with the scrolls. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I see that in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. Especially Talos, who he kind of forgot about. Who everyone forgot about him. I will never forget about him. Okay, Talos forever. All right, he is my Blorbo. He is my baby girl, like for life. All right, <laughs> he lives in our memories. Yes, exactly. Like I think his name will be the only name I remember from like mostly all these characters. Like. Am I yeah. going to remember Priscilla slash Barrow's name, like, tomorrow? Probably not. Uh, Gravik, yeah. you know, even Gaia. Like, I'm like, huh? Who? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also, like, speaking of Priscilla slash Barrow, like, what was the whole thing at the end with him being like, hey, the Kree want peace. You're a diplomat. I was like, she's a diplomat? I thought she was a spy. Like. What's her story, man? What's her deal? Um, Why doesn't she yeah. help out also? Like, why did she just pull out in the house? I don't get that. Yeah. I mean, I get her, like, she loves, I get her thing of, like, I like this house and I've got a bunch of stuff stashed here. So if someone's going to try and kill me, this is my best defense. But, like, yeah, it just feels like she could have, she could have done more. And also it's like, what was she doing while she was married to Fury for a while? I mean, she just seems like she wasn't just in the house the whole time. Like, I'm sure she was still doing spy stuff. Um, But yeah, he's like, she's, you're a diplomat. I'm like, wait, when was she a diplomat? And also, like, the whole, the Kree want to talk peace. It's like, do you trust the Kree? I know. Ever? I'm like, no, I'd never trust the Kree, like, ever. No. Like, any, if you spent all this time talking with Talos over the years, you theoretically should know not to trust the Kree. But, again, this Nick Fury is a moron, so maybe he does. <laughs> or, again, he's a scroll pretending to be Nick Fury who is a moron. So, maybe this... <laughs> Even then, that doesn't make sense because <laughs> even a stupid, stupid scroll pretending to be Nick Fury shouldn't want to talk to the Kree, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. So many weird decisions, man. I think, yeah. yeah. I think my biggest gripe, honestly, is just that they don't, like, do some big, like, sinister reveal with the scrolls. Like, I really thought that's where they were going to go with it. Like... Yeah. I don't know if necessarily they would have made Talos like evil or anything, um, but like you know, but like an unwitting accomplice to something that like, like spun out of his control. Instead, he's just like this very well-meaning guy who like 
I guess never wants to get his hands dirty, um, even though Gravik does, and like as presumably other yeah. scrolls get their hands dirty, and like is that never a source of tension between Fury and Taylor? Like I don't. There's so much yeah. I just don't understand. I know. There's just like yeah. There's so much I don't get. There's so much that just wasn't addressed. Like everything. I feel like so much of what we saw on screen was less interesting than what we wanted to know. And like, yeah, also, I mean, another thing, speaking of like what we saw on screen, I just want to say like a lot of the action scenes in this were very, really, really dull. Like, yes, for a spy thriller, it did not have any particularly good chases, any good fights. It's like, again, think of how much action was in Falcon and the Winter Soldier or in Captain America and the Winter, anything with the Winter Soldier in the title. (laughs) Um, That's a good example. Or again, if it's like, okay, Samuel L. Jackson is a little older. There's a lot of stuff he probably can't do. Like that's one of the reasons I brought up the example of like the new Indiana Jones movie. It's like, there's a lot of action sequences in that, but like, it's very clear that they were working around Harrison Ford, not being able to do the stuff he could do back in the eighties. Like, there are ways you can deal with and have an older star still do things. Um, so, like, that's frustrating. And, like, you know, I when I say this, I'm like, man, there's not enough action. It's like, well, we've already spent a lot of time talking about how this show does not work thematically, does not work as a conspiracy thriller, does not work as, like, a political drama. So what's left? Well, it doesn't work as an action draw as an action show either, you know? yeah. And, like, I remember, like, just watching, like, the fights and stuff and, like, just kind of being like, oh, yawn. And then, like, um, I forget at what point in Secret Invasion that I did this, but, like, I rewatched um, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And, like, si- seeing, like, the bus fight sequence, I'm like, yes, see, this is how you can, like, you know, create a clever setting for a fight scene that makes a fight scene feel fresh and, like, using the environment yeah. in a cool way. I mean, even, like, the little detail of him, like, pulling the yellow, um, you know, rope thing. And, like, that's the signal to her at the, you know, and, like, driving the bus, like, at speed. And, like, it's just, like, such a cool sequence. And I remember watching that and being like, ah, yes, this is how you can make an action scene, like, feel new. And, like, they just never really do that in, like, in this one. Or I'm trying to even compare it to other shows. I mean, like. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, you get, like, the aerial sequences with with, Mm -hmm. um, Sam and stuff, and, like, um, Moon Knight, you get, like, the creepy zombie mummy people, and, like, you know, there's something different about it, right? Mm -hmm. Not so here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, even something, like, in, you know, like, in in She-Hulk, like, she herself is able to do kind of crazier, more superhero things because she's so strong, but, like, the daredevil fight scene that we see is a great example of someone with relatively like nor you know his power is just that he has really good hearing you know and is well trained so it's like again you can have people who are not and like again and to me like part of the appeal of fury i feel like is that he is just a normal down-to-earth person so you know he should get hurt and it should be a really big problem you know why is there no scene of him like getting seriously injured to me that's something that like And that was part of the deal with like the Winter Soldier with his fight in the car is that he's stuck in a absolutely terrible scenario, but it's like, he's, you know, he's definitely got what it takes to get out of it. But still it's like, he shows up at Steve's place. He looks pretty busted. Like again, cause he's just a regular person. And if you want to emphasize that, cause like he gives the speech being like, I'm just a regular person, but it's like, if you want to emphasize that, have him get really badly beaten up, 
you know, and some, something like that, but he, he doesn't. So yeah, it's like, I'm, I wasn't asking, I'm not asking for this to be purely an action show, but it is a show that does have action in it and it's never good. And like, and after this allegedly grounded series, like the worst of the action is at the end when you have the really stupid fight with Gaia and Kravik, where it's yeah. just like, you know, they have every single power. So they're just like, um, what about this? What about this? I'm going to use this. I'm going to use the other thing. And it's like, you take this series that up until now has been more grounded or, I mean, actually a good example is like, if we're going back to other media, um, but okay, so yeah, that's a really, it's a stupid scene and it doesn't fit with the rest of the series. And now you've got a character who has everyone's powers. Um, although I did like the tidbit about like, well, they've got Captain Marvel's DNA and everybody else's too. And I'm like, okay, she's the only one who matters. Got it. <laughs> yeah, it um, really, that fight felt like um, it was choreographed by a little kid from <laughs> action figures. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But like... Yeah, in terms of the sort of the more grounded perspective, um, I was just realizing that, you know, on if we're talking about stuff on Disney Plus based on some of their other prior their their properties, like if you watch a show like Andor, like that's something that takes, you know, regular kind of uh, a show that's more of a space opera and makes it extremely grounded. And, you know, it also is about espionage and is about the political compromises that go into that and about these very flawed, nuanced characters. And it's like, that, you know, that show is only, I think, I don't think it's only six, I think it's maybe longer than, I don't know exactly, I don't remember how many episodes it is, but it's not a long show. But it's like, everything that show is able to do in a similar runtime with a similar premise of like espionage thriller type Mm -hmm. of thing, um, compared to this is like, really, uh, it's, it's really disappointing. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I 100% agree, and I don't know. I don't know why every Disney Marvel thing has to end with the CGI fight, but it does, and so here we are talking about this yeah. again. Yeah. And it's like, and it's also something that everyone's complained about. Like, everyone's complained about, like, the big dumb fight and, like, a big, you know, some kind of blue laser thing in the sky, and, like, you know, this is not something that hasn't been pointed out and I mean on the one hand I don't really want them to start listening to their critics because if they do a disproportionate amount of those are going to involve a lot of like over explaining stuff to avoid plot holes or just like not having any women in it um because that's how the internet works but like the actually good faith criticisms of these series often revolve around there being too much cgi and things getting resolved with, like, stupid, drawn-out, like, badly choreographed, like, badly animated. Again, not because of the VFX people, but because they are um, these, uh, yeah, these just, like, these dumb fights at the end that don't actually make sense for the story, even. Yeah, I don't know. It just felt, like, so weird and out of place. And this whole show kind of feels out of place in the grand scheme of things. So, yeah. Oh, and one more, like, little thing, like, real-world thing to bring into it. Martin Freeman, right? He's, like, um, was interviewed when it was, like, revealed his character was a scroll in the first episode. And he's, like, you know, and talking about his appearance in Wakanda Forever and everything. And, like, Freeman was, like, yeah, I played him as, like, him. I didn't play him as a scroll even here. Like, that's just – and that's certainly, like, you know, Wakanda Forever. Like, I played – 
you know, this character as this character, not as a scroll being this character. <laughs> like you could tell he yeah. was just kind of like, whatever about this whole scroll invasion thing. And like yeah. coming to the end of the show, I'm like, I feel the same. You know, like I had faith for like the first couple episodes that it could pick up because Hawkeye did that, but it didn't. It didn't get yeah. better and it was a slog all the way through. And the only thing I liked about this entire experience was getting to rant about it with Jen and now with you. And, you know, life is good for that, at least. Yeah, I know. That's the thing is that I kept watching it, even though I'm just like, okay, I, I mean, part of it is, you know, I like to try and give stuff fair do especially something where it's like I was really interested in the premise I was like okay let's see let's see because again like there's so many people out there who were just like they didn't explain everything to me in the first episode I'm gone I'm like okay maybe in the second episode maybe in the third episode maybe in the fourth episode maybe in the fifth episode okay they're not going to actually deal with any of this stuff um so it really became a chore to watch this series um because it was just like First of all, first I was watching it just to give it the benefit of the doubt. And then once I was like, okay, it's clear that this is not going to work and it's not working. Like I was just watching it because I'm like, well, I need to talk about it with now that I've wasted my time on this. I need to talk about it with Bridget and Jen. Maybe. <laughs> yes. And um, for anyone who is listening, I hope you enjoy uh, enjoyed us doing the work for you <laughs> talking about all the things that uh, didn't go right on this show. Um, and I look forward to never speaking about it again. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> Although I can't promise I won't complain about it again at some later date on one of these podcasts. So. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Like, yeah, I just don't want it to be the centerpiece of any of our like think pieces on the podcast. Like, I look forward to that not happening anymore. Yeah. No, I am. I'm glad to be done with this. I'm glad to be done watching this. And I am glad to have gotten out all of my frustrations in in one go here. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's also why we didn't, you know, I mean, we were already kind of backing away from reviewing every single episode. Um, But like, especially for this one, where we were just so underwhelmed, and it, it reached a point where I'm like, let's just wait until the end to tell people whether it's worth their time. And spoiler alert, it's not. So there we go. The Yeah, the thing is, too, it's like, I'm, I'm frustrated at this, but it's not even something where it's like, it's a fascinating failure. It's like a fun train wreck, or it's like, I'm righteously pissed off. I'm just like, Man, that could have been good, and it wasn't. That's frustrating. <laughs> I honestly, I feel like what you just described was kind of more Loki, where it's like, this yeah. was such a disaster, but like we had stuff to talk about the whole time. Mm-hmm. I mean, we covered that on yeah. a weekly basis, right? Yeah. We did, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, with Loki, it's also like, for me, Loki was a character I never cared about, and the premise sounded kind of dumb. So I'm like, I was sort of pleasantly surprised that there was anything worth watching in that show. Um, But then with this, it's like everything, again, it's it's just baffling to me. I'm just like, you have great actors. You have a great story. You have potentially, so, you know, this series could have been, you know, one of the best, one of the best of everything on Disney Plus. Like this series could have been so topical and so like, given us so much to discuss and been so good and so like such a tight good spy thriller like yeah you just you had everything 
how did you turn it into nothing? You know, it's like you had all the ingredients to make an amazing meal, but then it's like what I ended up getting was like, I don't know, instant noodles or something. And I was like, wait, how did you start with everything here and then make this? No, I don't get no, it. You know what it is, Caroline? This yeah. this series is mystery meat. Okay. You don't oh, know. You don't know what's in it. You don't know how it got here. You don't know what happened in that kitchen. It's mystery meat. This exactly. Mystery- I'm just like I like meat, but um, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Where did it come from? Yes, where did it come from? Why is it like this? Um, I think it kind of tastes like something I'm aware of, but yeah, yeah it doesn't have any flavor. <laughs> It's just slop, okay? Like, it needs to be studied by the government kind of mystery meat. So, I can't believe I, you know, I, like, I love that I managed to come up with a metaphor for the show in, like, the final minutes of us discussing it. I, I wasn't sure I would. We've we've had our plot thread, our plot sweater metaphor, and our gymnast, are they going to stick the landing metaphor, and, like, the yeah. salad for, for Loki, and now we have this mystery meat. <laughs> Oh my gosh, you're right. I think we, we need to have some kind of maybe this is a new thing we need to do with every show is like we need to come up with an analogy for this show. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's that's the comparison for this show. And that's what I'm gonna probably put in the show description. The the mystery meat of the MCU. Here you go. <laughs> yes. I mean, that also makes sense with the scrolls. It's like, what are they? You know, is it a person? Is it an alien? Is this meat? Is it tofu? Is it beef? Is it pork? What is it? What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay, all right. Anything else you want to rant about or even rave about? Because there were tiny little glimpses of that. um, Yeah. Um, I will say, like, in terms of things, let's see, the things I liked, I've already mentioned that there are some things I liked. You know, there's a few lines. Um, I liked like two characters. Um, I think all the, again, all the cast is good. Um, but like in terms of overall, I thought the, uh, the music was good. I liked the main theme and, um, the main credit sequence on the one hand, I theoretically, I'm not comfortable with them using, with people using AI art. Um, just because again, like please don't take a job people actually want to do and give it to a robot. Like, please take boring jobs people don't want to do and give them to robots. Like, (laughs) making art is supposed to be something humans do because it's fun and and special, like, and creative. Um, But, you know, within the context of, like, not liking that from, like, a, you know, a labor perspective, not liking, you know, paying machines to do human jobs when humans want those jobs... um, I think it actually did work for this series to have AI art as the title sequence um, because it's like very much on purpose AI art. Like it's not supposed to, it doesn't, it looked like it was supposed to be very clear that that's what it was, but also there's this idea of like artificiality and what is this and is it or not? And it's like deliberately kind of buggy and glitchy. Um, And it's also like, it didn't look as garbage as most AI art. Um, that I've seen. So I thought that for this sequence in and of itself, like that was an interesting, uh, like just design choice. Um, So I actually did like it, even if I, I hope no one else does that because like, again, it made sense thematically with this show. If you, if people start doing that for other series, I'm like, no, like again, make, have actual people do it. 
Um, but yeah, that was something I actually, that's the thing is even something I'm like, I really like this. I don't like what it means <laughs> or I don't want anyone else to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing I say. I can't even say unequivocally. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's all that I wanted to say about this series. Yeah. I don't have any other, that's it. I'm done. Um, yeah, I, I think we have thoroughly dissected it, okay. and now we get to move on. All right, now, gloriously, we get to move on. Thank you all for listening, um, So, and thank you for your support. I know it has been a minute since we've been able to, to post, um, but there is stuff in the works. I swear I will one day get to this uh, Masculinity in the MCU podcast. I have my notes ready. I just need to round up. you caroline and jen to like go over the notes and say like what do you think um so yeah that's in the works and and you know obviously marvel is gonna keep chugging stuff out um well we'll see if how quickly they keep chugging stuff out um yeah yeah. but for for the Um, future we'll see the marvels i guess i don't know know. yep that's coming out and then uh loki season two is coming out in october so yay well i did just say uh, i would be willing to rewatch that over <laughs> this one so i guess that drums up slightly more enthusiasm for season two i don't know um but anyway thank you all so much for listening and um after this ep- listening to this episode we hope you take a moment to um read up about the writer strike um and sag after 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 strike um and you know supporting any um if you can support any like you know fundraisers for that to support people as they are on strike and other things like that and just you know be a good citizen and support the creative people who make the creative stuff that we enjoy talking about and you know enjoy watching or even stuff we just enjoy ranting about you know all that is valid and true and real and needed so yeah Um, Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Nerd Alert. Girls. Girls. Bye-bye. Bye.